If we could have the, the first slide up, please. Might as well have that up there while, we're, while I'm talking. Sweet, isn't it? Little man there. When I was growing up, people used to really dress up to go to church, and you, you really did wear your Sunday best. Uh, ladies wore hats and gloves and all that kind of thing, and it, it wasn't that long ago, it's honest. Uh, but one, on one occasion, a friend of ours from school started coming along to our church. He was from the local housing estate, and there was a lady, an elder lady, who was really a bit put out because he wasn't wearing you know, a proper suit or jacket and tie. And we had to explain to her that actually he was wearing his best clothes. It just happened to be a denim jacket and jeans, which was a bit different to, to most people. But it was not what she expected church to be like. Thankfully, things have changed a bit, haven't they, in uh, the last couple of years. Our expectations of what church should be like and how people should behave doesn't necessarily fit in with the way that God designed church to be. One of the things that we try to do in the vineyard is to make it as easy as possible for unchurched people to come in and experience God. People who've had no experience of God at all, no understanding, never been inside a church building. And as many of you know, John Wimber, who founded the vineyard, described himself as a fourth-generation pagan. He knew that he'd heard of the Bible, he'd heard of Jesus, but he didn't realise they had anything to do with each other. And that is the kind of challenge and opportunity that we have uh, in our culture today. But one of the things that we do, for example, is that we dress down when we come to church rather than dressing up. Because in our culture, people dress down when they're away from work. And so we want to make it uh, as easy as possible for people. Now, Jesus faced a bigger problem than what people wore. It wasn't the way people dressed, but it was the people that he spent time with. The religious leaders were really unhappy that... He spent time with people who were far from God. And uh, these people showed that they were far from God in the way that they lived. It was pretty obvious. The, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they spent their time playing it safe, spending time with other religious people. That was their focus. But Jesus spent time with all sorts of people. He spent time with religious people and non-religious people, people who were part of the Jewish worshipping community and people who were a long way away from that, people who were outcasts. And this clash with Jesus prompted him to tell three stories. In Jewish culture, if you wanted to really emphasise something, you said it three times. And so, for example, the worship in heaven, it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and is to come. You have it twice there, don't you? Even that bit about he was, and is, and is to come is emphasising the all-powerful nature of God, his, uh, the fact that he is unlimited by time and space. He was there with us in our past. He knows all about it. He understands it. He's with us today. And no matter what happens in the future, he's going to be there with us as well. Jesus is famous for his stories and these three that we're going to look at this morning are three of the most famous. And if, like me, you've been around churches for a while, you'll know these stories backwards. And so 
please ask Jesus to speak to you in a fresh way today. Don't just take the story for granted. Yes, heard it before, know the details and all that. So the religious leaders were complaining about Jesus, who Jesus was hanging out with. And uh, this story, if you want to look it up, it's going to come up on the screen. But it comes in Luke chapter 15. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Little bit of a dig at the end there, isn't there? Uh, You religious leaders think you're so righteous. You think you're so right with God. You think you're so much better than everybody else. But God's interested in finding people who are lost. Now, as an ex-shepherd, I would say this story is ridiculous. Because it says here that Jesus, uh, that the shepherd leaves the 99 in the wilderness... The implication being without any kind of protection at all. Sheep are very good at becoming lost. They are very vulnerable. They could be attacked by wild animals. That's why, you know, out in the wilderness. But Jesus is using this example of exaggeration to make a point. And the point is just how important lost people are to God the Father. The challenge to the religious leaders was to completely change the way they lived. To radically change their thinking, their beliefs and their assumptions about life. Because if you don't change that, then your behaviour doesn't change. And the challenge includes, therefore, to turn their lives upside down, to get out of their comfortable cliques where they felt completely safe and their lovely religious meetings in order to reach the lost. Second story is very similar. Comes in verse 8 of that chapter. Jesus said, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. Could have represented her inheritance, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The angels rave on. The best parties that are thrown in heaven are when lost people are found. It's such a simple story, isn't it? It's one we can all relate to. Uh, Some of you may be able to relate to that story more than others because you have a tendency to lose things, whether it's losing your car keys or uh, your glasses, or your student ID, or whatever it may be. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever been looking for your glasses and you found that they're actually on your head. Uh, On one occasion, Mandy was looking for one of the boys and realised she actually had him in her arms, sitting on her hip. Uh, it, It happens, doesn't it? But what a relief it is when we find them. How much more precious when somebody who is cut off from relationship with God who faces an eternity cut off from relationship with God, 
comes home. Third story is about a son who found himself far from home. It's the longest of the three stories and I hope we'll come back again to it soon because there's so much in that story we could talk about. But the story is a younger son asked for his inheritance, basically saying, Dad, I don't care about you at all. I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance and I want it now. And he left home, traveling to a far country where he spent everything he had on fast living parties and prostitutes. And soon he ran out of money and outran his friends. Eventually he found himself homeless and the only job he could find was feeding pigs, which is not the best job for a Jewish boy. After a while he came to his senses and he realised that even his father's, his father's most unskilled worker, lowest paid worker, was better off than he was. And so he decided to go back home. And he, he worked out a little, uh, little piece that he wanted to be able to say to his father, just genuinely from his heart, repenting and saying he'd blown it. And it comes in Luke 15, verse 18. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And I think you get a glimpse of the brokenness that he feels there. He doesn't feel worthy even to be related to his father anymore. He was fearful that he had completely blown it, but he also knew how loving his father was. But what he didn't know was that his father was waiting for him, watching every day. And when the father saw his son coming towards him on the road home, dressed in rags, and covered in pig's manure, he ran to meet him. And in Jewish culture, and it's still true in Central Asia today, men don't run. It's extremely undignified. It's something that you just wouldn't do. And, uh, but the father ran. He was so excited to see his son coming home. That's something that would have communicated really well in the first century. Maybe we don't get it quite so well. And when they came together, there was no rebuke. Instead, the father flung his arms around his stinking son. And the son started the, the speech that he'd gone over and over and over. And he said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father just cuts him off. Cuts him off in the middle of it. Not, doesn't really listen to what he's saying, because he knows by the fact that he's walked down the road that... Uh, that he really has turned back. And instead the father calls for his servants to bring the best robes for him, uh, the signet ring, the sign of inheritance, the sign of his identity as a son, and they throw a party because his son was home again. Three stories. One main point, the importance of lost people to God. A little while later, Jesus had an encounter with a tax collector. Once again, um, somebody who was on the margins of society, somebody who would not have been welcomed into the worshipping community by the religious leaders. And once again, Jesus is criticised for who he's hanging out with. And Jesus' response is simply to say in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. 
and he gives us the same calling uh, to take up what he started and what the Father is still doing because the Father is still seeking. If Jesus came to find the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, what should our attitude be? How should the focus of our lives individually and the way we do things as a church be? How do we need to change? Is God challenging us in the same way that Jesus was challenging the religious leaders? Have we allowed things to become a bit too comfortable? I can't answer it for you. you only you know what's going on in your heart. You may, you may have got this sorted already. Can we have the next slide, please? Sometimes sheep don't want to be found, though. It's not an easy process, is it? But uh, we're called to go to them and to see how they respond. 99 sheep left in the wilderness in order to find the one that is lost. In our context, if we move on to the next slide, are we willing to leave the 6% who go to church in order to reach the 94% who are lost and far from God? What would that look like for us as a church? What would that look like for you and me individually to, to have that as more of a focus to our lives? Now, please don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand what I think the Bible is saying here because Jesus is using exaggeration to make a point and he did that a lot. He cares deeply and passionately for the 99, for you and me. Uh, as well as for the one who is lost. He cares deeply and passionately for those who are already part of the church, but he challenges us in our thinking, our assumptions, and our behaviour, both as a church and individually, because there are so many who are lost. In this church, we talk about gathering people in, training them up, and then sending them out, and that being a process that we've uh, been on ever since we started the church 26 years ago. A process undergirded by the love of God for the individual. So that we do our best, yes, to gather people to Jesus, but then when people have gathered to Jesus or while they're you know, with us, while they're sorting out what they believe, that we, we love them as much as we can, we care for them as much as we can, we do our best to help people to grow, to be like Jesus, to, and then support them as they seek to reach out to others who are lost as well. And just as it's important to lead people to Jesus, it's important for people in our church to feel, to feel cared for and to be able to grow while they're part of the church. And a lot of our energy as a church goes into that. Sometimes I think it's too much of our energy. We need to maybe shift the balance a bit. But it's absolutely crucial that each one of us is able to grow feel connected, be part of the body, feel loved, know where we can turn to when we need help, because we all need help from time to time. And it's, so it's not one or the other. It's not either we seek the lost or we look after the church, the people who are found. It's not one or the other, it's both. And uh, we'll probably look at building community next week, because that's, it is important. But seeking and saving the lost can be very inconvenient, can't it? Uh, for Jesus, it meant regular confrontation with the religious leaders and even rejection and criticism from his own family. They thought he was mad. They tried to take him away. 
They thought he was barking. And eventually it led to his death on the cross. For many of the people we work with around the world, being a follower of Jesus is extremely dangerous. It can easily lead to them, for example, being thrown out of their family, being unable to find a job because they've been blacklisted, and in some cases being tortured or put to death. We get it much more comfortable than that, don't we? But even running something as... You know, something as simple as the Alpha course this term has been inconvenient, hasn't it? Because for some of you, you're unable to join us on a Tuesday evening because you've got, already got other commitments that night. So you would love to be there, but you can't be there. And so there's a feeling that you're missing out on what God's doing there. You're missing out on the relationships that are building. Some of you, I would imagine, are missing your connection groups because... It's a main place for you of connection, of support, of friendship, and of getting to know God. But I hope that you're finding good relationships as you sit around the same tables each week. And uh, certainly, I've, Mandy and I have really enjoyed uh, getting to know people. When we had to move the dates around so that Alpha could be on a Tuesday night, Tuesday night it meant all sorts of other things having to change. Um, including us having to move a holiday, ending up with less than we would have done otherwise. But it's worth it. It's worth the inconvenience, isn't it? On Tuesday evening, we had five people who don't know Jesus come along to Alpha, and uh, they experienced God's love. I think they really enjoyed it. I think they enjoyed the atmosphere that is created when God's people are together. They enjoyed... Uh, being welcomed. They enjoyed the discussion as well. I think they found that helpful too. Some delicious food. Thank you, Haley and team, for doing that. Hearing the truth about Jesus in a very non-threatening and culturally relevant way. It's a fantastic opportunity. So as Ellie was saying, uh, it's not too late to come along to Alpha and join us. Over the last few months, the uh, three months, the leadership team have been looking at the pattern of what we do at our weekend meetings. And one of the issues that has been driving our discussion is this very issue, God's heart for the lost. And are we as a church being effective in reaching people? Our culture is changing very rapidly. And so the church, the, the model that we use for church needs to change as well without messing with the message. And uh, so there could be some changes coming up fairly soon. We'll let you know as soon as it's decided. When Mandy and I first joined the Vineyard Church, we were told one of the constants around here is constant change. And uh, we've brought in lots and lots of changes, small changes over the years, occasionally bigger ones. It may well be that we have a couple of bigger ones coming up. I want to show you a short video now. So, uh, Josh, if you could get that running now. This is what Bournemouth Vineyard are doing, or one of the things they're doing. Aidan M. Aldridge from Bournemouth and we moved to this town about five years ago and felt God call us to plant Coastline Vineyard. From the very beginning our vision has been to be a church that loves the King and lives the Kingdom and we're incredibly passionate about seeing people's lives changed and their communities transformed. Our community spans the entire coastline of Bournemouth and every Sunday we meet halfway between Bournemouth Town Centre and a suburb called Boscombe. 
Boscombe is well known as an area of social deprivation. It's an area of low income and high unemployment, an area of domestic violence uh, and drug use. Uh, prostitution and homelessness are commonplace. It's one of the poorest areas in the southwest and in the bottom 1% of the poorest wards in the country. It's a very broken place, but from the very beginning, we felt called to minister there. In 2011, an area of Boscombe called Churchill Gardens was featured on the Channel 4 documentary, Landlords from Hell. This highlighted the terrible living conditions experienced by some of society's most vulnerable people. In the documentary, many properties were shown in Churchill Gardens, but particularly one, and that was number 10 Borthwick Road. When an undercover TV crew entered the property, it was revealed to be one of the worst crack houses in the country. So we were amazed a couple of years later in 2013 to be offered that very same house, number 10. Apparently a Christian who worked for the same landlord had said, if you don't want call-outs for violence and crime from that property, invite a bunch of Christians to move in and they'll only ever call you out for some regular maintenance. And so the landlord called us up and uh, offered us uh, reduced rents. He told us not to cause him any trouble. Uh, and Millie and a couple of our friends in their 20s moved into number 10 Borthwick Road and the missional community began. It began and it grew. We now have two community houses. We have several families who've moved into the area, plus a few local residents who've given their lives to Jesus. All in all, it totals around 25 people who've joined the community. This group started with four or five pioneers who had a dream in their hearts to see the hope and freedom of Jesus come. So the journey started with three of us and we moved in and God just said to us, be interruptible and available and get to know your neighbours. And so we did, we just did that and uh, we spent the first year uh, just listening to our neighbourhood and getting to know people and having cups of tea and then uh, we began to realise that nobody really wanted to live here and people really hated this area and wanted to move out if they could and so we then just spent the next couple of years um, just helping people to believe that this neighbourhood really could be something and, and wouldn't have to be what it's always been. Um, so freedom for this area, we really believe, looks like the fullness of the Kingdom of God coming. And so often we think that freedom is uh, like the, the thick woolly jumper and it immediately comes off and there's oppression but then there's freedom. But really we found over our journey that um, it's like taking one thread of that woolly jumper and just beginning to pull really slowly at it and beginning to tug at it. And, um, uh, and then we also believe in family here and so we really feel like our, our families need to spend time together but often can't afford to do that and so we just went on a mass neighbourhood ice skating trip and we took 60 parents and kids and it was just amazing to see kids' confidence grow and families just spend time together doing an activity that they might not before. So we're sitting outside number 10 and um, where six of us live and uh, we decided really early on to start to open up our home um, and we discovered that people hadn't eaten around a dinner table in 10 years and they didn't have access to adequate cooking facilities and so we thought well we can cook food and eat around our dinner table and so we just started to invite people in for dinner and really hospitality has become just a way of life for us and so now we'll have um, a whole range of different people from all different walks of life and there's something about food that really connects people. It's hard to hate people or have a social divide when you're just passing the ketchup or pouring somebody a glass of water. And so really is at the heart of who we are. And we want our home to be a place of peace. And really because the presence of God dwells here in such a powerful way that people will often just step into the house and they will just sense his presence here. Um, and so we really just, you know, we want people to encounter Jesus and invariably they do because as we live lives that bring the fullness of the kingdom, it's so insatiable to people and they get caught up in it. And, um, 
And so we baptise people in our bath and uh, we disciple them and do Bible studies with them and, and just help them on their journey to full freedom, whether that looks like um, becoming housed or going after treatment or just becoming family with us where they've had no friends. And so, yeah, life at number 10 is, um, is crazy and mad, but brilliant and beautiful. So we have seen significant change here in the neighbourhood over the last four or five years, but our neighbourhood's still on a journey and there's still high deprivation. Um, but it's just, yeah, it has been amazing to see and it's been amazing to see the community come together and the council have been great in the way that they've looked at the housing stock and looked at people's conditions for living and so we have a great relationship with them and they're really supportive of, of what we do. So this part of Boscombe um, historically uh, was one of the most deprived areas in the whole of the southwest of England. People didn't interact with each other they sort of live behind closed doors. We've got a really transient population, so a real to and fro. So personally speaking, I was a bit unsure as to how it was going to roll out when the Vineyard Church came into Boscombe. Was it going to be, actually we're here and we're, we're pressing a particular um, religion or an ethos? The one thing I found is that it's just been the people in number 10. It's been about people, it's been about community. It's not been about religion. And I think that has resonated so well within this particular community. And it has helped to enliven and enrich Boscombe. So thank you very much. I love that Jesus is for the freedom, not just of our spiritual lives, but of our whole lives. And uh, it's been incredible to see the journey that he's been on with some of our neighbours. And so one of our great friends, um, Tammy, who we met a couple of years ago, has just got such an incredible story of the way that the Lord has completely and utterly turned her I'll life. put the link for that on, uh, on Facebook so that you can watch the rest of it. But uh, uh, isn't it wonderful what God's doing? And uh, when we're willing to seek the lost, and, uh, and we do that through love, don't we? We don't... don't uh, there's nothing preachy about what they're doing. If you'd like to be involved in a house like that, please let me know. There are some things stirring. But it, I think it's so wonderful the way that God takes broken people and he loves them. He loves us because we're broken people and uh, uh, he heals us gradually and he brings life. And uh, really that's what we're talking about this morning. It's about bringing life to those who don't have it, bringing hope to the hopeless, rescuing people from darkness, and then throwing a party like the one in heaven. Uh, as Jesus said, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Jesus told the story three times to emphasize the point that lost people matter to God. That Jesus was willing to give everything, including dying on the cross, for the sake of those who are far away. And so really the question comes, what price are we willing to pay? What um, discomfort are we willing to go through? You know, we can focus on the cost and the inconvenience, or we can focus on the celebration of life when somebody comes to know Jesus. And every one of us was in the same situation, weren't we? We were the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost child who was far from our Heavenly Father, and Jesus found us and he brought us home. And that's what 
we're here for. It may be that uh, you haven't responded to God, you've heard the stories, you've, uh, but you've never actually said yes to God, that you, you want to allow him to save you. You're a bit like that, that sheep who doesn't want to be saved. Um, today is a good day to say yes to Jesus and to experience his love, to respond to his love and to get right with him. So we're going to pray now. And uh, so it may be that um, you want to do this for the first time. It may be that you've been walking with Jesus for donkey's years, but actually you, you, know, you need to put a few things right with him, that um, you haven't been as sold out for him as uh, you used to be or you could be. Maybe Jesus is challenging you with, with something. So we're just going to pray, and you can respond to him in whatever way you need to. So Jesus, we thank you that you really do pursue the the lost sheep, the lost son, the lost daughter. We thank you that your love for us is so incredible. And we want to say yes to you today, whether it's for the first time or the umpteenth time. It really doesn't matter. We just know that today we need you. Jesus, I need you today. I need to know you more. I need to walk closer with you. I need more of your healing, more of your freedom. And so, Jesus, I say yes to you today. And if you want to do that for the first time, you can say uh, to him, sorry for the things that you've done wrong, the things that separate you from him, and uh, allow him to come and touch your life and say yes to him, invite him into your life. And if there's something in particular that you need to put right with him, just you can do that now. It's very simple. You just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And as soon as you say that, he says, I forgive you. Welcome home.